When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70. Celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Starkville is now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find fantastic baseball talk all week long and all postseason long. And since it's Tuesday, hey, it must be time for Starkville. So I am Jason Stark. I read about baseball for the Athletic. I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, Distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, we made it, my friend. We had a season. <laughs> we, had, we had such a fun, dramatic ending to that season. Um, I don't know about you. I found that I was up to the challenge of trying to watch six games at once on Sunday afternoon. How about you? I mean, I tried. I tried. I, you know, just uh, in and out and then periodically. Uh, you got to make a move and try to figure out, all right, where am I going to stay? I watched a lot of Mariners games the last, <laughs> the last yeah. week. And so I was up pretty late. I know we were texting at like whatever time in the <laughs> one o'clock in the morning or something. But um, yeah, it was exciting. And that's kind of cool. This whole three o'clock start on Sunday, the final, like everybody plays at the same time. And, uh, but of course it makes it impossible to, to keep track, but a lot of highlights, a lot of devices. I had like multiple devices going and oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that it's all at the same time, that's the fun of it. It was really inspired by that wild end of the season in 2011, which at the time was really an accident, you know, because they had had to adjust the schedule. And so they thought, let's try to do this every year. This is the first year it's really worked out quite like this. It was an amazing day. And, you know, we could have had such incredible chaos, Doug, that it's like it's disappointing for us <laughs> chaos fans that we didn't. Uh, we could very conceiv- conceivably have had a scenario where the Blue Jays would have played Sunday in Toronto, Monday in Seattle, Tuesday in Toronto, Wednesday in New York, Thursday in Tampa, then Saturday back in Toronto, right? And I, there were also scenarios where the Mariners played Sunday in Seattle, then somewhere back east on Monday, then back in Seattle on Tuesday, then in New York or Boston Wednesday, then Tampa Bay Thursday. 
That's like the jet lag Olympiad. Uh, are we wrong to have rooted for that? I did. I don't know. Did you ever have a travel schedule? Oh, anything like absolutely. that? I rooted for it all the time. Well, yeah. on, the, on the other side of the coin of, as covering the game. But however, uh, multiple years working with ESPN, we were once after 2011, they started stationing us, stationing, let me get that right, stationing us up different places to be ready to go wherever the next round might be, yeah. depending on who wins. So there was one time I was at the door. I think the Rangers had the win and they were losing. And it was like, I was about to fly. It's like, well, do I get on the plane? I was trying to delay. <laughs> I got on and then I landed. They had been eliminated. So I just had to fly back home. I went all the way to Detroit waiting for something. Nothing happened. Flew back. So I did this three times. <laughs> Got stuck in all kinds of airports and it actually didn't work out. But because of 2011, that standard was just amazing. And uh, because you just had lightning about, I actually called a game on that game 163 or whatever it was then, 2011. And um, it was, I think I got the Cardinals Astros. The Cardinals like cruised through JD Martinez back then, Astros. And they they were, you know, did their thing. And then it was all the, all things happened. Phillies Braves and I mean, it was out of control. So I understand why they're trying to recreate it. It was really a lot of fun. Yeah, and you remember that 2012 postseason, too, was the the time the uh, the Giants closed out the Reds in Cincinnati, but they didn't know if they were going to be in San Francisco the next day or Washington <laughs> the next day, depending on who won the uh, the Cardinals-Nationals game five. That was that crazy game where the Nationals blew that lead. And remember the Giants went to the airport in Cincinnati and sat on the plane <laughs> watching the game. And depending on how the game ended, they were going to fly east or west. Uh, it's tremendous. And uh, speaking of the Giants, we have Gabe Kapler, manager of the Giants, best team in baseball. He's going to visit with us in just a few minutes and reflect on the amazing journey of that team. But before we get to Gabe, uh, a couple things. Doug, the defending World Series champions had a rough year. They only won 106 games. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that earned them? They got to have their whole season come down to facing Adam Wainwright in the wild card game in the shadows in Dodger Stadium on Wednesday night. And uh, Doug, I wrote about this in a column you can currently find in The Athletic called What We Learned This Season. And what I found was no defending World Series champion had won a hundred games and not finished first since the 1954 Yankees. So, I mean, I know this is more fair than what happened to the 54 Yankees yeah, who went right. home, went but home. is it fair what has befallen the Dodgers to have their whole season come down to that one game? And if it's not, what should baseball do about it? Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say it's fair given the system, right? We we've struggled with. Remember, we had Bob Costas on. We were trying to figure this out yeah. and and what the line should be. And look, I I like the first of all, I like the series. Period. I've always been a fan of maintaining the series, the structure by which you live and breathe baseball through the regular season since the dawn of time. Right? It's all about like best of three. So you have to have depth, different looks. So, but I understand why the wild card came to be. I understand the excitement of it, but I, I just like the fact that a series at least gives you something to work with and showcase different skills and give you a chance to come back and all those things. So that's one challenge, but accepting that as part of the wild card is a sudden death type of game. Then, yeah, I, I can see that the Dodgers played under that system and the system says, Hey, you want, you don't want to be in this position. 
win the division, right. <laughs> win a division. Uh, yeah. Just so happened. The giants had a historic season. That's obviously pretty rare. And the giants and Dodgers have a lot of history on final games of the season, by the way, and getting eliminated. But, um, but I think that's the, that's the antidote. And so, yeah, they, it's a, it's a lot less, they're fa- being favorites based on that 106 week game season or win season doesn't quite align with coming down to one game because you could lose to anybody in one game, uh, especially as well as R- Wainwright has thrown. So, but yes, I, I, my thing is, yeah, I, I like series in general. So that's where I would start. Um, yeah, I agree. Now, let me just fill in the context of this a little bit because I, you know, I wrote a lot about ways to to uh, to deal with this sort of thing when this system came into being um whatever year that was 2012 i think was the beginning of it right the wild card game and leading up to it we had had a bunch of ra- division races that should have been great but they were not great because you'd have the Yankees and Red Sox going to the final weekend of the season tied or something, and they didn't even care who finished first because there was no meaningful penalty for the team that didn't. Uh, it happened at a Dodgers-Padres race one year, that, and baseball felt it needed to address that. It wanted to create more incentive for you to try to win, to go through that last weekend and win. And they, the pressure that the Giants felt this weekend was tangible. It was... You understood the reason that they had to win, that they had to finish first. There is such a huge difference between being the one seed and getting stuck in that wild card game. Yes, the Cubs from a few years back. So it's definitely accomplishing what it was supposed to accomplish. The question is, is it overly punishing a team like the Dodgers? Now, I would say yes. So, you know, I talked to a bunch of front office people from around the sport and there's a lot of sentiment that the, that round needs to be what it was last year best of three i think that's likely um all three games in the home park of the team with the best record i think that's also likely uh if you if you're worried about time you could play a double header i guess right you could um yeah. something to think about um, there was also some sentiment for seeding by record as opposed to by division. So the Dodgers would be the two seed, even though they didn't finish first. But that would have taken a lot of the drama away from Sunday. And there are issues with it because not all schedules are the same. So would you have to go to a balanced schedule? There are a lot of complications with that. Uh, my friend Joel Sherman has proposed the, the, the system from Korea, the KBO, where, you know, if you have a two teams in a wild card where one team has outwon the other team by so many games like you have with Dodgers Cardinals then the top seed only has to win once but the lower seed has to win twice which mm-hmm. means that just like now every game would be a potential winner you know season ending game so you have that kind of drama but it is more fair to the team that wins a lot of games. Um, you know what I think we should do? I Why don't we keep talking about this throughout this month? And I'm going to guess there are people listening to us now. <laughs> so if you're one of those people and you have a great idea, why don't you shoot us an email at Starkville 
at theathletic.com. If we get a few brilliant ideas, what do you say, Doug? Should we talk about them right here on this show? I love it. I think it's a great idea. And uh, and of course, I always love going off the rails and bringing in like Australian rules football, whatever it takes. So um, yeah, I, I think it'd be really <laughs> fun. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's that's what I love about it. You're trying to make the more perfect union and you keep chasing it. And baseball is like the perfect example. of that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the Dodgers, what a season. And they're literally down to one game here. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the wild card game, the drama of it, the urgency of it. The only thing that's bad about it is if you lose it, some yeah. really strange stuff has happened in those wild card games <laughs> that ends team season. And it's, it's incredible to go to that losing clubhouse after those losses uh there's no there's no more difficult clubhouse to work all year if we ever get back into a clubhouse than that one uh doug one more thing uh before we welcome in gabe kapler i I think we have to do it man i think we have to predict who's going to be in the world series um Doug, I think I should let you go first since whatever teams I pick are doomed. <laughs> well, uh, the strategy, I, I thought about doing the John Shambi strategy, which is every poll, you have a different set of answers. So for ESPN.com, <laughs> you have a different one. <laughs> I, I thought about That's that. It's like strategy. how you feel like your March Madness bracket. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, however, I'm going to try to be consistent. So I, for ESPN, I threw it out there. And I had this like a couple of weeks ago. I had Giants. Versus the Astros. And that's, I just left it at that. So um, uh, I, I did, you know, now I picked the Giants to win it. I, I think, well, they've been the best team all year. Every time you keep thinking they're not going to be, they're even better. I mean, they, they just, it's something really that's going on with this team. First of all, you got a bunch of older senior veteran players that are playing very well, which is why there's so many doubts about like, well, these guys are going to collapse, you get hurt. But I don't know the magic formula for Kapler and being able to, keep these guys, you know, kind of on the field enough and all these things. It's just worked really well. And, uh, and their pitching has been incredible. They keep the ball in the ballpark. They hit the ball out of the ballpark. And that's, that's really hard to do. <laughs> you can't blame the stadium. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I just, so I'm going to just go with them. I, I think they have, a, you know, just an incredible team and the Astros. I actually wouldn't even be surprised if they wanted I feel like Dusty Baker, uh, as I call him the godfather of baseball, I just think it's sort of his time. Uh, this is it. This is sort of the, you know, getting to the end of his coaching career, managerial career. And uh, I'd, I'd love to see him win it just as a friend of someone I've known him a long time and what he's meant to the game. He's just kind of been snake bitten a few times. I was on one of those teams. But, um, you know, so if anybody could kind of come out of nowhere, I wouldn't say nowhere, but, you know, do something unexpected. It's, it could be Houston, especially after what's gone on the last couple of years. But um, but yeah, what a great team. So- what a great team in, in San Fran and Houston. Good teams. So you're not going to pick a winner? You're just going to throw that? Oh, I, I picked San Francisco. Yeah, I did pick that. In, <laughs> okay, in the just poll. check. Yeah. Yes, I did. All right. Well, all right. We have to bring up your uh, your observations about the Giants with Gabe Kapler. Yeah. Uh, let me give you my pick. To come out of the National League, I have got the Brewers. Uh, I recognize all their offensive limitations. Uh, I am worried about their bullpen in the wake of that Devin Williams injury. But here's my thinking on them. If I was going to design a formula for how you win the World Series, you know where I would start? Best rotation in the league, best closer in the league. I think that's the Brewers. Um, I think they're really built for that aspect of October. And then who will they play? Doug, it's going to be those Tampa Bay 
Rays. Um, for whatever reason, they feel like they're the least sexy pick in the field, but um, I, I do wonder what everybody at MLB and Fox must think every time they think of a Brewers Rays World <laughs> Series. Need some smelling salts, but I, I just love the Rays to get through all the other behemoths. Uh, I wrote about this. I've said it before. When you watch the Rays play, doesn't it feel like they have 50 players and not 26? At least. You know, they, right? They always have the right guy in the mound for whatever the matchup is. They always have the right guy at the plate. They're so hard to prepare for because they change lineups every night. You have no idea who's going to pitch. Um, so I have the Rays winning. And uh, one thing I need to say about that to everyone in Tampa Bay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I used to write a column at ESPN every year picking who was going to win the World Series. <laughs> and as soon as the column ran, I'd start getting texts from my friends. Even my wife, the text would have two words, the name of the team and one word, doomed. <laughs> if I pick you, you're you're obviously doomed. Except, no, you're not. I actually have been right. I've been right quite a few times. Nobody remembers that. And Doug, you can actually confirm this for me because I make this point to my wife all the time. Like you've played baseball in October for the 2003 Cubs. Did you ever think at any point that me predicting your team would win was a more dangerous curse than the curse of the Billy? <laughs> True. No, I, 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 no. I didn't think that would be. Yes. Uh, I think the um, first of all, I, I'd been on the Phillies before chasing the Braves and always losing to them. So when we beat the Braves in the first round, of the playoffs, I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I was on a team that actually beat the Braves in a series. So <laughs> at that point, I thought anything was possible. I mean, that was just my own personal perspective of it. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, they, so I think there are Rays. That's a great pick. They are really an amazing team. Really amazing. Okay, so j just to clear this up, there may be curses. M me picking a team is not an official curse. No, it's not official. on the same page in that? Yes, we are. Yep. We are. Okay. Only in Starkville. It's only a Starkville curse. <laughs> <laughs> Never leaves the Starkville city <laughs> limits. It's the best kind of curse. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, Doug, as we welcome in this week's special guest, I have breaking news. Uh, I know they won't announce the voting results for a month, but Gabe Kapler of the San Francisco Giants is the National League Manager of the Year. And guess who's joining us on Starkville? It's Gabe Kapler. Gabe, welcome. Wow, that's that certainly is breaking news. Uh, <laughs> I, I, 
I certainly appreciate the vote of confidence. I know, uh, I know you've got insight into those sort of things, Jason. So I appreciate the heads up on that. Yeah, I don't have an actual vote, but I can provide a vote of confidence. I try to do that. <laughs> uh, that, that, that that's good. In in return, I will uh, say that you guys will be the podcast hosts of the year. How about that? All right. Yeah, there's my there's there's my vote of confidence. <laughs> okay, we'll take it. You. Right, you probably don't have a vote in the podcast. No. Of the year, but <laughs> that, that, let's that, just... that's true. <laughs> All right, well, let me tell you what isn't breaking news. Your team has had an incredible year. So let me ask you this. Eight months ago, when you arrived in Scottsdale, I know you thought you had a good team, but could you have envisioned you'd have this good a team? I think what we knew is that we had a bunch of very competitive individuals and I mean, thinking back to the 2020 season, although, you know, we didn't accomplish the goal of reaching the postseason, I, I felt like we had a pretty decent group of, of guys who were comfortable and getting more comfortable in their roles. And we had a few veteran players that kind of were, were seeing the beginning stages of a real resurgence. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. We didn't know exactly what was going to happen in the 2021 season. But we felt like we had a good group of people who were going to come together and pull the rope in the same direction. And uh, our veteran players, the Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, were very clear on what their expectations were at the very beginning of, of spring training 2021. And that was to win the, win the division. So what, what I did and what we did as um, a coaching staff is take a step back and try to support that ambition that mission, um, that initiative by, by trying to put these guys in the best positions to succeed and by training with them the way they wanted to be trained. And so they really set the tone. They, they believed that they could be here right now where we are. And we were just sort of a, a support system for, for that ambition. Uh, you know, I've covered baseball for a long time and I, I don't think I can ever recall a team quite like yours that won this many games that was good at every part of baseball from the start of the season to the end of the season. And yet the outside world seemed to never quite believe that it was for real. So I'm wondering, did you sense that? I mean, I don't know how you couldn't. And what did the outside world not get about your team? Well, first I, I just want to acknowledge, um, and I'll speak for myself. I was aware of the of the projections, so I, you know I know that you know I, I do follow Pakoda and I do follow you know Fangraphs projections or BP's projections or any other models projections, and I knew that it was like seventy four to seventy six wins, generally speaking. Um, and so I understood and continue to understand why the industry and public perception um, and, and to some degree, like, uh, you know, people internally were, were questioning where we might go. Um, but I also continue to make allowances for that because those, those, those models, um, they take a lot of things into account. So I think part of the reason many in the industry they weren't sure is because of what the, the trends that they saw over the course of the last three or four years in particular with some of our veteran players. So, I mean, if you make the assumption that Brandon Crawford is not going to have 
um, an, an MVP caliber year and that Buster Posey is not going to reach his production level from some of the best years of his career and that Brandon Belt isn't going to be arguably one of the top five hitters in baseball over the, the course of the past two calendar years, then you would have to assume that a lot of this isn't going to happen because without those that sort of production, it's going to be really challenging to accomplish what we've accomplished. So again, understand it and, and again, making allowances for it, but also, you know, the game is just not played on paper, A, and B, um, projections are, are based on algorithms and performances from, from years past, and it, they don't really account for the possibility that older players can, can have this sort of turnaround. Yeah, and, and Gabe, I mean, you mentioned the 75-win projection. I mean, that's that's 20-plus wins off. I mean, that's a lot of wins, almost 30. And, you know, you think about the fact that age is part of that equation, the, the sense of regression or aging and aging out. Uh, how much, when you look back to 2020, for example, Buster Posey taking the year off, you, you think about having a shortened season. Do you think that played into some sense of recovery or resurgence, just not having a full season, even though there was other stressors? Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at that, Doug. First, if you think about the 2020 season, and if we had a, a healthy and productive Buster Posey, so the version that we've had from this year, I think it's very difficult to argue that we wouldn't have been a much better team, A, and B, that we would have been a postseason team. Because this is no disrespect to Tyler Heineman or Chadwick Trump um, or Joey Bart, but the experience level that we have behind the plate is just much different. And, um, you know, the, the understanding of, of uh, how to navigate the big moments, when to take a mountain visit, when to have a conversation in the dugout. While those young players are talented, they just may not have that level of savvy that the combination of Buster Posey and Kirk Casale have. Um, taking that a step further and really answering your question directly, I believe that that Buster's year off um, really has played into his success this year. He's he's played a lot, um, but he's also stayed fresh, and and part of that freshness comes from just not playing the 2020 season. He worked really hard this offseason uh, to get ready for this season, but he is an older, fr from, a, from a catching standpoint, an older player. So he's had to be very cognizant of his workload, of his, um, his output, and I think the, the combination of last season off and the way he's been cognizant of, of his overall workload has led to some of the success. Yeah, and, and Gabe, we, we talked the other day before the game, and you know, I appreciate you, you know, sending me something poetic that describes what it means to have a greater appreciation for uh, being a veteran that's looking things as if it's the first time. Uh, so I appreciate you throwing the uh, the my first song Jay Z quote at me <laughs> uh, the yeah. other day, but I, I do want to read a couple of lines because you know I didn't really know these lyrics that well, and I think it captures it well, and I want you to chime in on what you think this connects to. So the lines, Jay-Z says, the key to staying on top of things is treating everything like, like it's your first project. Like it's your first day, like back when you were an intern. Like that's how you try to treat things. To, you have to stay hungry. Just stay hungry. It's my life. It's my pain and my struggle. The song that I sing to you, it's my everything. Treat my first like my last and my last like my first. And my thirst is the same as when I came. It's my joy and my tears and the laughter it brings to me. It's my everything. 
So you mentioned this as a reference. I mean, what what speaks to you about this team, 2021, these veteran players, where that song captures where you're at? So there, there's two pieces to this track, right? The first line that you mentioned, the key to, to staying on top is treating the first or treating every project like it's your first. That's ag- actually Biggie. Um, and and he, it's like a, a bit of a voiceover in the track before the, the, the track gets going with Jay-Z. And then obviously that's the hook that you mentioned, which was the second part. Um, so I, I guess my thought is artists, creative people, but then to some degree athletes, the first project that they take on is oftentimes their best because they're so hungry. They're so driven. They're trying to establish themselves. They want to show the world what they're capable of. And then once they've experienced some level of success, sometimes not all the time, some of that production production tends to fall off, but it really is a mindset. You put yourself in the, I'm, I'm fighting for my life. I'm, I'm trying to establish myself mindset. And I think in, in many ways, veteran players can reconnect with how they felt when they were rookies year one, year two, and, and just trying to get their, their footing. And there's so much passion and energy and, and intensity that they put into that. Now you couple that with, with the experience. And, and this is why it's possible to have a resurgence. And now that we're staying on the hip hop theme, Nas is one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite artists. And obviously the first album he made was called uh, Illmatic. And that was in, in the early mid nineties. And that was one of the, the greatest records, in my opinion, one of the greatest hip hop records ever made. But he just put out another project and this new album is maybe not Illmatic, but an excellent, excellent project. And so it is possible to get back to that hunger, to that mindset that can create some of the success that some of our veteran players are having. So I was just making the correlation between what it's like to be an artist and what it's like to be an athlete or a major league baseball player and some of the um, similarities. This is awesome. Now, as you guys know, I've been around a lot of managers. Most of them quote Earl Weaver, (laughs) Casey Stengel. Only Gabe Kaplan, my experience, is likely to quote quote Jay-Z or Simone Bolivar. (laughs) I I admire that. But um, since you went down the Jay-Z road, I, l- let me go down that road a little bit. Um, I, I know you get asked all the time about how you've learned from what happened in Philadelphia and blah, blah, blah. But I'd like to ask about those two experiences in a different way. Um, here's my thought. Second jobs are always different from first jobs. I think that's true in every aspect of life, but it's especially true in baseball. So how in your mind is your second managing job different from your first? Um, I, I think that I'm a lot less certain than I, than I have been in the past. It's just coming from, you know, sometimes feeling like I had a specific problem figured out and then just having that go wrong or, or it go different. And, I think it actually kind of ties in nicely with the projections conversation that we were having. Like I probably would have put a lot more stock in those projections in my first year in Los Angeles as the farm director, by way of example, or in my first year 
in Philadelphia um, as a manager of the Phillies. And, and, and I would put less, although some less in them in my second year managing with the giants. And, and I imagine, um, you know, going forward, I'm, I'm going to, and I hope that I, that I stay open-minded and that I feel less certain and that I listen more and that I collaborate more. I don't try to do as many things on my own. And those are some of the, the adjustments that, that stand out to me, but I don't think that's unique to my situation, to be honest with you. I, I don't think that to your point, Jason, it's like every job that you have, every year of experience, hopefully you're growing and changing and, and developing and making adjustments. So I expect that, you know, two years down the road, I'll be different than I am now. And five years down the road, I'll be different than I, I am two years down the road. I just think that's the natural human um, condition is that if we're, if we're trying to get better, that means we're going to be making adjustments along the way. So I, I hope that makes sense. It's a little bit convoluted. Sure. So if, if you are less certain now, um, if you have a, if, 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 if you, if you have more, what flexibility about the way games should be managed, about the way teams should be managed. Why do you think that that's true? Was there a specific moment or two along the way that helped shape that sense of change? I I definitely understand why the question is asked like that. And, and that's basically what most people have asked me and are, or have tried to understand, which is like, what's the turning point? What's the moment? And I think what they're, what the translation of that is, Hey, that thing that you messed up with Aaron Nola and, and taking him out of the game and, and trying to get through the game with your bullpen that time on opening day in Atlanta, was that the thing? Or was it that day that Colby Milner wasn't warmed up and you went to get him? Like, that's the one, right? That's the one that really changed everything for you. But that's not really how this works, is it? It's it's a collection of everything that you've gotten wrong and some of the things that you've gotten right over the course of days, months, weeks, years, long periods of time. <laughs> the, the lessons that we learn from our, our mothers and our fathers, the lessons that we learn from fatherhood and what our children can teach us, our marriages, our failed marriages, right? Like all of these things... Are, are leading towards lots of different adjustments and trying to do it better next time and picking yourself back up off the mat. I just don't think it's, it's one thing in isolation. I just, and but I can always tell what people are driving at. Right. So, it, and, and most of the time that's because people want to, people want to, to, to feel like they understand it. It just, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, you know? And I, and I, I, I do think it's a collection of all of our experiences that help us grow and change. You know, I actually wasn't driving at any of that specifically. I, I really wanted to hear it in your words and hear you explain uh, how you how you got to this point as you just articulated it. And, uh, you know, Marcus Thompson uh, just wrote a great piece about you in The Athletic. I strongly recommend everyone read it. And in that piece, uh, another thing you said was that you see chemistry, culture, clubhouse harmony as being more important now than any specific tactical move. And you know, I found that really interesting because, hey, you were a baseball player 
before you were a manager. Uh, you were part of teams, I mean, especially the uh, 2004 Red Sox would come to mind. Teams that were fueled by culture, chemistry, belief. So I, I'm really interested in why you have a different feel for the meaning of that now than you did when you first started managing. I don't really, I don't really know uh, because I, I, that 2004 Red Sox team definitely felt like something special was going on. And obviously I can remember being down 0-3 um, as a part of that team against the Yankees in the 2004 ALCS. And, you know, a lot of that belief that you mentioned is what fueled us to be able to come back in that series and win it. So I, I did experience it, but I also think I read my way to some degree out of it. And I, you know, I, I became a little bit more scientific with my thought process and it ebbs and flows. So sometimes I feel, you know, pretty connected to math. And sometimes I feel pretty connected to something that feels a little bit more spiritual in a sense that, that, that chemistry is really driving what's happening and, and the connectedness is really driving some of the, the success that, that we've had this year with the Giants. And look, like I, right now, I feel like the harmony of the clubhouse, the, the comfort level of the players, the confidence level of the players is the most important thing. And I will say this, and I, and I, Doug, I'd like to get your perspective on this. If there is one thing that is important in baseball, more important than everything else for performance, it's not talent at this level. It's not, it's not game planning at this level. It's confidence. So if you are just, just assuming that everybody at the major league level is exceptionally talented, one player is exceptionally talented without confidence. And the guy standing next to him is exceptionally talented with confidence. The guy with the confidence is going to succeed. I mean, Doug, can you can you confirm that yeah. at, at, when yeah. you're your most confident, you're you're the best player you can be? Go ahead. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm with you. And I, you know, you look at any of these rosters across the league. There's a whole lot of top draft picks, top free agents at different stages of their lives, and there's not that big of a difference between, you know, any team, Kansas City Royals, Milwaukee Brewers, and there's something subtle that has to separate them because you're you're in rare air. And and you saw it every spring training going in with players that had these incredible resumes. Everybody had an incredible resume, right? They're, they're top high school players, top college players, top draft picks. And then somehow how they coalesce starts to become a different a different animal. And um, and I think it, you know, there's no doubt if you believe you're gonna be one step ahead of the person that doesn't believe. And, uh, and that's the difference. Probably 2003 was my season where I was like, how are this sort of similar older players, me, you know, Eric Karros, Tony Womack, Mark Grudselanek. We were like, how are we going to do this? Kenny Lofton. <laughs> we were kind of old. <laughs> but, um, but we had a certain focus that allowed us to kind of put our ego in a different place for the focus of something larger you can accomplish as a team. So with that as the framework, the experience that you had with all of those veteran players, your acknowledgement that that, um, that belief is, is critically important. I, I just find now that if, if, some, if some move in-game is going to disrupt that, that flow, it might not be worth it to make that in-game move, even if mathematically that move is correct. And even if that, math, that move is mathematically correct by a significant margin. So um, I just think that's one way that, that I'm thinking about it and we are thinking about it differently 
we're just trying to maintain that that those good vibes, those that that harmonious atmosphere in the clubhouse, and and most importantly, the confidence level of the players. You know, we've been dancing around this this idea that you know your your team is old, and like that's just that's documentable. Yeah. Uh, your group, group of position players is the oldest in the major leagues. The average age is almost thirty one. Belt, Crawford, Posey, Yastrzemski, Longoria, Lastella. I could keep going. Every one of those guys is over 30. And this is a sport where the popular wisdom is you can't build a team around players on that side of 30. Does your team prove something about team building? Does it prove that that's not necessarily true? I actually think there's, there's more to that puzzle. And that is the role players that we have um, the, the Wilmer Flores is the Donovan Solano's the, the Lamont Wade juniors, the, the, the Tommy Listella's, you know, these guys are not in perfect health either. Right. So, uh, and when I say that, I mean, they're just, some of them are, are also a little bit older, even Mike Yastrzemski, who's, who's young and experienced is an older, he was an older minor leaguer when, when we acquired him. So we don't really have those very young, very, um, very durable guys. You can just throw out there for, you know, 150, 155 games. We have to be very careful about monitoring workloads and not pushing these two, these guys too hard because they have gotten hurt. Wilmer Flores has dealt with hamstring injuries all year. Tommy Lestella is, as we speak, dealing with some Achilles discomfort that we're having to always monitor. Darren Ruff has been on the IL several times when we've tried to, to push him a tiny bit too hard. So, but, but I think the reason this has worked is because some of the, the chances and the risks that, that as a group we've, we've taken on these players, which is like they're talented if we can figure out how to keep them at that, at that level of play. That means keeping them on the field and strong enough to be good versions of themselves. And look, they deserve every bit of the credit for communicating with us on that front and for letting us know when, when they need a blow from time to time. And also for being ready, willing, and able to be deployed in any situation um, without like allowing their egos to, to seep in. I mean, these guys have been incredible in that regard. So much has been, said about the veteran uh the veteran players that everybody knows that are more like of the household names but those guys that i just mentioned they've just done an incredible job of keeping their bodies ready to play baseball um and and in and in good effective shape so i, I just don't think enough is made of that well on that note i, I don't want to let you go without at least asking you about about the injury to brandon belt i i know you lost him for uh, a lot of games earlier in the season and you, you guys kept right on chugging, but what does it mean to lose Brandon belt this time of year? Uh, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I, but I also think, so Brandon is, is probably out for the next couple of weeks and we'll reevaluate him. Then obviously he has a, a, fra a fracture in his left hand. Um, so it, it sucks to lose Brandon belt. And he was arguably our best, hitter for a good portion of this season but he went down uh when we played 
the Angels in Anaheim um, while he was pl- he was at his peak performance. And we were able to keep right on rolling with a combination of Lamont Wade Jr. and, and Wilmer Flores and Darren Ruff at first base. Those guys were so productive and so ready and so prepared for that moment. We feel like we're going to be okay. It, it doesn't take away the sting that, you know, such a confident and it, honestly, like, he, he was a guy that was really keeping the mood light around here. Uh, we're, we're, lo- we're losing a lot more than just a productive bat. We're losing a great defensive first baseman. We're, we're losing a leader in the clubhouse. We're, lead- we're losing some of the humor, although we're going to figure out ways to keep that around and, <laughs> and, and a part of all of this. So it's going to be tough, but I, but I really do feel like we're going to be fine uh, because of, of the roster fills that we have. You know, these guys are really good. Lamont Wade Jr. is has been excellent for us this year. And he's, he can be slick around the bag. He just needs more reps. So I think we're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you know, we've reached October. Your team's had an amazing journey. So this would be my last question. Will your team be defined by October or by the journey? Oh, um, you know, I think, I think probably both. And I think people will look back on this season and appreciate what we accomplished independent if we, you know, go all the way through the end of October and into November. And I think the team will be appreciated for some of its accomplishments if we're not able to to get all the way there. Doug, do you have one last? Yeah. Well, I guess one thing I think about is, you know, we talked so much about the data points, the analytics, the advancement of the game. Uh, In this experience this year, especially as we talked about age, have you come up with your own data point that you lean into? Do you have a chart of playing and resting players that you've never had to use before in this season? Is there something you've been able to kind of formulate that you want to carry with you going forward? No, I'm actually glad you really brought that up. Um, So what I would say is there's there's more read and react than there ever has been. So, uh, Alex Wood, by way of example, is still getting built up after his his COVID IL stint. Obviously, he tested positive for COVID, so was down for a while. And we've been trying to build him back up slowly. Um, today's outing should probably be around 75 pitches, but we're not going to be beholden to that number. And what, we, what we've said is we're going to check in with Alex Wood after every inning and during the innings. And if his velocity is where it needs to be, if he's staying in his delivery, and most importantly, if he's reporting that he feels healthy and strong, we're not going to take him out of the game with some artificial pitch count. So, I mean, that's basically that's basically it, is we're just listening to the players. There are we, we have plenty of numbers about third time through the third time through the order, you know, the 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 disadvantages of having a le- a reliever face a particular part of the the lineup for the third or fourth consecutive time there, there is so much at our fingertips. And I think that the, the San Francisco giants in 2021 are, are listening to their players and getting feedback from them in real time and, and trying to use that as the most important data point. Uh, Gabe, I know you've got to run. I, I know how much you have on your plate these days. So I can't tell you how much we appreciate you're giving us this much time Great to talk to you and all the best in October. Thanks so much for joining us. Jason, Doug, I appreciate it too. It's really actually nice to have open-ended conversation. I love the podcast format for that reason. So thanks for having me on. 
Okay, Doug, take a breath now. We've arrived again at that part of the show where we get to humiliate ourselves in front <laughs> of the world. You know what that means. It's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And no matter how many of these we get wrong, we are still literally involving you. Uh, we pick a trivia question from one of our lucky listeners, then we invite the lucky listener to join us on the podcast to stump us with your question. That's pretty much how it works every week. We'll tell you how you can do that in just a few minutes. Uh, but Doug, since we're going to talk about Shohei Otani a little later, uh, we decided to pick an Otani question. We can't possibly get a Shohei Otani question wrong, can we? Yes, we can. That's okay. Yeah, we can. <laughs> yeah, and, I think and we're in, in his case, that. we can get, and in his, we can get it wrong two different ways on the pitching and hitting <laughs> side. So there's more, you know, more stakes here. Yeah, good point. Uh, all right, let's bring in this week's special trivia guest star. It is Tom Robeson. Tom, thanks for joining us here in Starkville. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. I'm very excited about this. Um, hey, before we get to your question, I was really intrigued by your Twitter bio. Um, tell us about what you do for a living because yeah. it involves Disney and Disney theme parks. It is. Yeah. So uh, I'm a college theater professor. I teach at a school called Millican University in Decatur, Illinois. Um, and one of the things that I do is I research Disney theme parks. Uh, I published a book on it about two years ago. And what I really do is I look at how Disney theme parks are a performance space uh, and how the, the tourists who go through them are actors, just like the dancers <laughs> in a show or the singers or the characters, how we're all playing a role when we go into those spaces. Very cool. Wow. Uh, uh, is Westworld a required viewing experience? <laughs> there, there's a lot of Westworld overlap uh, in the stuff that I think about. Yeah, there is. Okay. Uh, Tom, it also looks like you're a Phillies fan. How's that going? Going great, Jason. Going great. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a hard thing sometimes to be a Phillies fan, but we, uh, we endure. And we, we're sitting here... Uh, the season's over and I'm already thinking about, okay, what's next year going to be like? And maybe some point we'll learn how to develop talent in the minor leagues. <laughs> well, I, 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 here's my prediction. I bet this segment is going to go better for you than last <laughs> week went for the Phillies. It couldn't possibly go worse. Far as low. <laughs> All right, Tom, let's do this. What is your trivia question? Okay. Cause I've been thinking about Otani and what a great pitcher and hitter he is. Only one pitcher in Major League history has won the Cy Young Award in the same season in which he also hit five or more home runs. Who hmm. was it? Wow. Wow. Yeah. So home, so five home runs or more in a Cy Young season. You know, Tom, I've done a thousand Otani notes and trivia questions this year. Yeah. I never looked into that one because wow. he was never he was never going to win the Cy Young. So this is fun. This is a great one. Um, first, I would like to thank the DH rule because it eliminates half a century of American League side <laughs> from our list of possible wrong answers, but seems helpful. But is that going to save us, Doug? I doubt it. Uh, it's going to help a lot though. American League's kind of, kind of out on this one, but a yeah. uh, couple, you know, we'll see what we got, but yeah, I, I, that helps us a lot actually. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. Um, it reduces 
the list of potential wrong answers to what, like 90, something like that. (laughs) Good. Perfect. Uh, Okay. So let's go through it. Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, good hitters, never hit five home runs in a season. Madison Bumgarner, home run hitter, but never won a Cy Young. Mm -hmm. Mike Hampton, home run hitter, 20 game winner, never won a Cy Young. Yep. So, you know, I'm thinking this goes back a ways when pitchers could really hit. Yes. Uh, Don Drysdale, came to mind there's a guy who could he could seriously hit but mm. I, i'm not sure I, you know it could be him but then i had another name pop into my head that it it feels like it'd be it could be right um i'm pretty sure that the first cy young ever was won by don newcomb and that was a guy who made some home run trots you know, so uh, that's actually my best bolt, Don Newcomb. Doug, you have a better name than that? Ooh, all right. Well, I, I love pitchers hitting. Obviously, we share this in Starkville. Yeah. So I just thought of all these amazing hitters like Don Robinson, Steve Carlton, you know, Randy Lurch. A lot of Phillies pitchers could hit. Larry Christensen. These guys raked. Uh, Rick Russell. I mean, there, there's a whole generation of just really good hitters. Uh, one person that came to mind was Fergie Jenkins because he, he yeah, raked and he one. definitely won his chair of Cy Young's. Uh, I thought about, uh, there was a couple of, uh, well, here's one guy that I thought was kind of cool. So the Padres had a guy, Randy Jones. And I remember this because of Stratomatic. I thought he was a pretty good hitter, actually. <laughs> so those were my kind of outside the box ones. I mean, Steve, Carl, you know, Carlton, I feel like with a Phillies fan on, I thought maybe we should go Phillies, but I don't remember him hitting five home runs. See, I don't no, think he hit that think many. So. Um, and what about Bob Gibson? Didn't he, he I mean, didn't he, he had 400 he, one year? Yes. But um, did, he, did he hit five home runs? I don't think he ever had a season where he hit that many homers. I All right. thought about it a lot. All right. So, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm going to go like Randy Jones, Fergie Jenkins, but I, I can't say it with confidence that I would take out Don Newcomb. So <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> That's where I'm at. All right. This is perfect. Um, so we can go with Newcomb. That's fine. I don't, yeah, I, do I don't you, know. You I know Jay, I know Jenkins hit like seven, but I think it was like later in his career. I don't think he, you know, I don't think he won the Cy Young that year, Okay. but I know he did hit more than five one year. I could say that. All right. So, so you're good with, Guessing Don Newcomb, you are. Uh, I, I don't have uh, any confidence right. in my answer. If this goes like most of the other recent <laughs> trivia episodes, it means we just named the answer, talked ourselves out of the answer. Yes. Which means we will guess Don Newcomb, but it's actually Don Drysdale or <laughs> Jenkins or, or Randy Jones. Randy Jones. Okay. Yes. I, uh, to yeah. be honest, though, I do think we have a shot for a change, uh, Tom, by some miracle, any miracle. Could this have been Don Newcomb? It could have been, but it wasn't. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Jason, you should have listened to Doug. It was Fergie Jenkins. Oh, oh. Uh, All right. He hit six home runs in 1971. Don Newcomb did win the first Cy Young in 56, but he only hit two that year. The previous season, he hit seven. Oh, wow. All right. I, I didn't, I just couldn't. Yeah. I didn't know yeah, he this, was a tough one. Awesome. I, awesome. That's this, a great question. This goes just like all of our 
disgraceful <laughs> trivia debacles is we get so close. We we, we know we're in the neighborhood. We knock on the wrong door. We it's need amazing. We, the cheating uh, scheme. We got. We need two answers. If we have two answers, I would have gone Fergie, and then you know we need two answers. Uh, two brains. Right, look, look, we we get more <laughs> pathetic every week. I believe we're now five and twenty-one. <laughs> This season, so we're not going to win any Cy Youngs at five and twenty-one. Uh, here, here, look, next week I do want to uh, talk about ways we could possibly address this in the future, <laughs> but I don't want to return to our evil ways by re-implementing the Doug Glanville devious cheating scheme. I have some ideas though, so All right. uh, whatever. It's too late to help us. Uh, if you if you listen regularly, you know whenever, whether we get the question right or wrong. We still bring in our acting mayor, Cameron Molina, to provide the highlight of this segment by playing some classic play-by-play clip involving the answer to this week's question. So let's bring in Mayor Cam. What do you got this week? I have a soundbite fit for a Cy Young winner. Fergie (laughs) Jenkins on May 25th, 1982, punched out Gary Templeton of the Pirates to record his three thousand strikeout of his career and uh some guy named harry carey was on the call makes his time here's the pit he got it gary templeton the three thousand strikeout of his career gary templeton goes down swinging and ferguson jenkins being congratulated throws the baseball into the dugout all of his teammates coming out to shake his hand the photographers are out there. A historic moment for Chicago Cubs baseball. The photographers are out there. You know, Harry's wondering, why aren't I out there? <laughs> so good. Love hearing that Fergie Jenkins soundbite. Tom, great work, man. Yeah, Fantastic really fun question. question. Yeah. Took us over uh, time. I, awesome. Yeah. You know, I know you've helped many an aspiring actor out there. You absolutely helped our act this week. So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Appreciate being here. Thanks for everything you do. Strange but true. This is it, Doug. It's our final Strange but True segment of this Strange but True regular season. Uh, and in honor of our trivia question this week, I want to talk about Shohei Otani. I don't know how strange his season was, but the best part was, it was true. <laughs> so, Doug, why don't we start with this? Let's listen to how Shohei Otani kicked off his final game of his astonishing season. That's well hit out to right, and he's done it! Otani leads off the game with a homer! Yes! What a way to get RBI number 100 of the season. Showtime! Show me the money! okay that was uh, Matt Vaskirgin and Mark Gubaza and um, Doug it's so funny that that's how this started because before the game you you had texted me saying Mariners what Mariners shouldn't pitch to Otani they'll never pitch to Otani that would make no sense they pitched to Otani <laughs> they did and yes I said it, it they'd be fools to pitch to Otani ever I don't fools. care if he's leading off the game and, and and what was so remarkable about that call was that 
it was like a low line drive and and it was almost like is it going out and the thing was like 25 rows up i mean it was like <laughs> right. what i mean it just absolutely took off so yeah I, you, you, why would you ever 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 pitch to him um but i guess the first pitch of the game i, I don't know there's been some lead off walks intentional walks to lead off a game before i guess or first inning i don't know <laughs> Seem, seems strange uh, i don't know if i've and i'm pretty sure nobody's ever been intentionally walked to lead off the game. Um, I did I, I did see Pete Rose when he was managing the Reds intentionally walk Mike Schmidt in his first at bat of the season. It's, All right. Oh, wow. <laughs> saw that. But uh, first at bat of the game, I don't think that's ever happened. Oh, wow. But anyway, we digress. Back to Otani. I have some cool Otani facts for you, man. You ready? Let's do I'm this. Uh, okay, Shohei Otani. How good was he, Doug? He had a better adjusted OPS plus than Aaron Judge, and a better ERA plus than Garrett Cole. (laughs) He hit more home runs than Mookie Betts and Anthony Rizzo combined. (laughs) I didn't think I'd ever say the sentence, the best pitcher on the Angels, by the way, also led the league in triples. (laughs) He had more extra base hits than Bryce Harper. (laughs) But now, here is my very... Favorite, strange but true, Shohei Otani stat. His slugging percentage as a hitter was 592. The hitters who had to face him had a slugging percentage of 351. (laughs) So Andrew Simon of MLB.com was the first person to do the math on this. I love it. I keep doing it. So what that means is he could have allowed a home run to the next 33 hitters he faced in a row, and they still wouldn't have had as high a percentage as he had. He would have outslugged them if he'd given up 33 hit home runs in a row. And Doug, I know this is my favorite line about Shohei Otani. He did all this stuff, and he is a real person. He is Otonic. Doug, your thoughts? Oh, man. I... I just I feel just honored actually to be around the game I love I've always loved and have this guy playing in it. I mean it just is it's so much fun to watch because it is mesmerizing. It is something like you know I'm as you know I'm a big space fan. I always think of like the majesty of the celestial bodies. I mean that is like Otani just watching this guy. And I think the player side of me says first of all how can someone this good and do all these things play a game that I actually played at the highest level. Why was I even there? I just ask myself <laughs> that question every day. Um, really remarkable. And and you think about to be that dominant. First of all, I, I remember how hard it was to hit these great pitchers, right? Just to get in the box. I mean, you, I went to sleep thinking about what Smoltz going to do to me. What's, you know, I mean, you know, you see these guys over and over again. It's cat and mouse game. And it, it's so draining, but it's so exhilarating. And then what it takes just to match them up on one side of the ball is, is miraculous. So I'm imagining now taking that and then dominating offensively at that level against these great pitchers and then turning around (laughs) and doing it on the mound, which is equally exhausting. You know, first of all, you're pitching, you might miss a start. You know, you, you have, you have no, you know, you're not getting the same training because you're doing both. And, but yet this guy, could neutralize the best hitters in the game to the point where they were just hitting a single, you know, basically in slugging percentage. I mean, that, that is unbelievable. And 
you know, let's not even talk about stolen bases and speed. I mean, you just, that's like cherry on top of the giant Sunday. That's the biggest Sunday you've ever made. I mean, but the guy is, you know, unbelievable athlete. And I feel so thrilled that early on when he was still in Japan pitching and doing his thing, you know, Mashi, who was one in the first Japanese uh, American J- Japanese player to play in the major leagues in the sixties uh, for the San Francisco giants, uh, Masanore Murakami. I want to get it right. Uh, he was he was someone that understood the opportunity and to just play in the, in during the '60s during civil rights, and then here you have Otani come generations later, and not only arrive but arrive in a way to change the com- whole complexion of the game, and and it's so powerful to know that. You know, it's it transcends everything: culture, language, society, all these things that you realize that you can distill it to what you're witnessing and hearing and seeing and enjoying on the field. It's just it just simplifies in a way that's just hard to explain. So I'm more thankful than anything else, quite frankly, to 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 know that you know I played with some amazing players, the best players, and there's been nobody close. To be able to do what this man is doing right now, um, and and if he does nothing else, this one season alone is so remarkable that, it, and I think it's just it's almost like Cal Ripken Jr. level history. Like, is anyone ever going to break Ripken's record? I'm saying no, and I'm not sure anybody does what Otani does, you know. And or if nothing else, anybody who does can credit him. <laughs> that, yeah, for sure, uh, he's amazing. So yeah, and yeah, like think what you just said, uh, all the all the players that you played with, the great players you played with, nobody came close to this. You played, I mean, we don't even need to go through a list of players you played with and against. That says it all. And, you know, for me, the beauty of Otani is all the stuff you just expressed, but also this. Uh, What we love most about sports is we get to watch people test the limits of what is possible. Shohei Otani has tested the limits of what's possible and rewritten all of those limits. All these things that we thought could not possibly be done, he has done, and not just done them, done them at a level that only a handful of people alive can do them. And he is a real person, man. Um, Just remind yourself every day that Shohei Otani does this stuff. He's not a character from a video game. He's real. He's just like us, only way more talented. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We've been here every Tuesday, all season long, as part of the Athletic Baseball Show, and we'll be making more podcast magic throughout this postseason. But luckily for all of us, so will Ken Rosenthal on Mondays, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on Thursdays, and Keith Law and Derek Van Riper on Fridays. So stay with us all postseason long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free at Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us ad-free at The Athletic and at The Athletic app. If you like what you hear, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us one of those five-star reviews. And thanks again to the many people who have already done that. 
Also, if you'd like to read our work or any of the incredible writing on our site, there's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can still subscribe for 50% off. So check us out. You'll be happy that you did. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here and prove one more time there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. To do that, you can email us at stuckville at theathletic.com or you can try firing those questions at us on Twitter. If somebody was going to fire a question at Doug Glanville on Twitter, could you help those people with how they would do that, Doug? Yes, as long as there's no flames attached to that fire, I'm very happy to accept. At Doug Glanville, at D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V, as in victory, I-L-L-E. <laughs> it's always the highlight of the show when Doug spells his own name. <laughs> I only get to spell my first name. I am at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's at Jason with a Y-S-T. Please remember to hashtag your questions with the hashtag StarkvilleQS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Gabe Kepler for visiting us. Thanks to Tom Robeson for the great trivia question. Thanks to the acting mayor of Starkville, Cameron Molina, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville.